Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Don't stop. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable Radio. How is everybody today? <laughs> we are going to go on an incredible journey, and our guide is a woman who has authored a book titled My Journey Through Time, where she recounts her experiences and memories of at least seven past lives, some going back to 1066. For over 36 years, 35 years, 36 years, Dina has been a student of uh, Paramansa. Yogananda, and she has been a practitioner of Kriya Yoga Meditation. And in the late 90s, she served as the vice chair of the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders held at the UN in New York. Later, she convened a meeting of women's religious and spiritual leaders in Geneva, and in 2002, founded the Global Peace Initiative of Women. And out of this has emerged the Contemplative Alliance. Concurrently, she's also a managing partner in Finn Partners and a partner and vice chairman of Reuter Finn, where she works in the area of cultural marketing, creative services, and corporate responsibility and nonprofits. I could go on and on and on about all the things that Dina does concurrently <laughs> and all the things that she weaves into her life, but let's chat during our session in the next hour with her to learn more about this fascinating and amazing woman. Welcome. Tina to the show. Thank you. <laughs> wow. I mean, you truly are this multi-talented in everything. Like you're just into everything and leading everything. It's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And well, it doesn't you know, feel like that. I hardly recognize myself in your introduction. Um, but, but that's you. And, and, you know, it, it's like you take on this, um, the leadership for, for the spiritual and, and cultural and artistic, I guess, endeavors of the world. Well, I, I, I see myself really as having two parts. I'm, I'm a contemplative. I've had for many, many years a very strong meditation practice, and I'm an activist. I believe very strongly in trying to improve the world and, and change things that um, appear to be unjust and unfair. So I've struggled with how to bring these two parts together, how to be an, a, a contemplative activist. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Being an activist myself, I like that. <laughs> so you wrote this book. It just came out in March. Let, let's hold up the cover for everybody. Yeah. yeah. My, my Journey Through Time, Spiritual Memoir of Life, Death, and Rebirth. And fascinating. Whether you believe in a past life, whether that past life is uh, a metaphor for, for anything that's happening in this life, or... You know, you just like to read. This is a fascinating, fabulous read. It really is. You know, fiction or, or fact, it, it doesn't really, I mean, it, it matters to you and I maybe, but to anybody who doesn't necessarily believe in past life, it might make you believe in past life. And if you do, great. And if you don't, it's still a fantastic read. Now, you, it's, what's really interesting about this book is the, how the past lives and how you watch karma work throughout your lives and, and leading to, to this life. 
and how in every life you've had a sensei or a guru or somebody who's met you or a mentor who's met you and said, yeah, we're, we're going to keep you on point. Well, that, that to me is when I think about what have I learned from all of this? Because um, when people say to me, you know, how do you know it's true of that? But at the end of the day, it's what you learn from the experience. It's not just a matter of curiosity. And I, I say to people, just to go digging in G-Pass because you're curious. So what? You know, so you see something. What, 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 have you grown? Have you become a better person as a result? But what's been most touching for me are the relationships mm-hmm. um, that I've formed and the, the love between the student and the teacher. I've had many teachers um, who have guided me through difficult times in the past. Sometimes they came briefly into my life just to deliver a message. But that interaction was a profound one. And when you think at, at you know, you, you can tell a whole life story in 40 pages. That's how long these lives are. And that applies to this life. So when I think at my deathbed, what are going to be the highlights that I take with me? I mean, you're going to remember, you're not going to remember, you're not going to hang on to every little thing, but they're going to be highlights, right. important people in your life. And the relationships don't die and the love doesn't die. Those bonds are eternal. They talk about us, you know, um, rebirthing with soul groups and, and going through soul, with soul groups throughout our many lives. And you can see that through your lives because, you know, you've recognized certain people because you remembered those lives. You don't recognize them sometimes when you don't remember, but because you have remembered those lives, you can go, oh, I know who you are. Well, they were also the, the, the um, in the book, in the early part of the book, I, I kind of talk about how these memories came to me. And there was always a person that's, that, awakened something in me that touched me in a way. And, you know, I wouldn't recognize it at first, but suddenly I found myself flooded with memories. So I'd meet somebody, we'd have an interaction, um, and then the memories would begin to come back to me. And it was, it was very interesting, especially the first time it happened, uh, because I was seeing something about this man and about the relationship, and I had to function in the presence it was a business colleague, somebody who would come in to help me learn something within my family business. And so I had to relate to him in that way. And yet I was back in time remembering something else. And so these jugglings of, of time periods was a real challenge in the beginning. So tell me, how old were you the first time you had this experience? When I was, um, I had brief, brief glimpses when I was growing up, and I think most people do, but they don't, but you don't know what they mean. So you don't really pay attention to them. But when I was 30, I moved into a home and there was something about that home that sparked a memory. And I began having dreams about um, another house. And I would have these recurring dreams. I'd always wake up with longing for the house. And this went on for about 10 years. You know, I'd wake, you know, maybe they'd come three times a year. And I would be back in that house and back in that house. I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me. I couldn't get any more information. And then um, about 10 years you know, after having these dreams, I met a man who began to speak to me in Russian and call me by a Russian name. And that's when the memories began to come back to me. This was a house that I had. Or the, my current house reminded me of a house and that, uh, from my past birth. And that's what I was dreaming of. Um, and then for a period of about, um, well, about 20 years, they, I was going back in time further and further. And each time I thought, well, that was it, you know, uh, you know, it's all, that's, I can't go back any further. And then two years would pass and another thing would come. 
and um, it's still happening. That's <laughs> I'm working on a second book. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you ever read the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Brian Weiss. Long time ago. Long yeah, time ago. but you know, here was somebody who had 80 spontaneous lives, you know, in, on a hypnosis, you know, in, in, yeah. through hypnosis. Now I know, like you said, as a child, for me, I think the first three years of life, I had these very scary airplane dreams, airplanes going up, bombs coming down, all kinds of stuff. I was a little girl. I don't know why I had these dreams, but I did have a past life as, as a air, as an, um, in the air force, as a bomber pilot, I went oh. back and I found it. So I go, Oh, that's why I had those dreams. I brought it into this life and then it went away. Was it World War II? It was one. World War One. Yeah, and it, and it went away, and so that was very interesting, you know, because then you can just go, oh, okay, that's right, because I didn't know why I had those dreams. I mean, they bothered me and it scared me, and then oh, then you go, okay, now I can relate. Now I now I get it. Well, I think there's a good reason why we forget, because it would be very confusing if yeah. if these memories were 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 flooding us, and the point of this life is to learn what you need to learn in this life and to progress uh, and not to get bogged down by what you've already done. Um, but there's, but there are teachings. Uh, and, and for me, the reason why I decided to share, because initially I just wanted to write it down for my own, for my own information, just to see what the patterns were mm-hmm. and to really see how one fed into another. And then um, a few years ago, a very close business colleague of mine who was an agnostic, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she was very frightened. And I, I, and she was a writer, and I, I gave her my manuscript, and she said to me, Dina, this has helped me so much. You've got to publish this. She said it's given me so much comfort, and and she handled her death very well. And so the thought that the book might have given her some understanding that this wasn't an end, uh, and then of course, as as I've published the book, people have written to me. And said, I've shared it with a friend who was diagnosed with this or someone who just lost somebody. And I think part of the um, challenge facing humanity now is to overcome this fear of death. It's like, it's like once we understand there are different dimensions and that you move from one dimension into another, and I think science will discover that shortly, you know, within, within yes. a period of time, um, it changes everything. You know, Dina, I think that people get that this is our vessel. This is, this is, you know, I always call it the car I get to drive while I'm here. Yeah. Right. And I think that, you know, on an intellectual level, they know we all have to die. Um, and we all do it. Can't get out of it. And, and it scares a lot of people. And, and even though some people, whether you believe in heaven or you believe that you're going to go, you know, to the, the blue space in between or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, that, that something's going to happen and we don't know what it is. And we, you know, humans fear the unknown for some reason. I, I, I kind yeah. of think it's exciting, but people fear that. And there's been like, Oh, I, I, you know, I've interviewed many, many, many people who on, on people who have, you know, died, uh, come back to life, kind of died and come back to life. Um, and their experiences are very similar in, in that whatever your belief is, that's what you see when you die. Exactly. Exactly. We are the creators of our everything. <laughs> yeah, we are the cre- in this life and in that life. We are, and, and that's a very important um, thing to understand: is that we've created our current situation. There's nobody out there imposing it on us. We've created it. We've, we've through choices that we've made in the past. We are shaping our future now. Right. And you know, my 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 guru used to say, "The Christian is going to see Jesus when he dies." 
and you know the Muslim is going to see Muhammad, and I'm going to see my guru, and who, 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 whoever is your guide, that's the one you're going to see. I hope I see my dog. That's what I want to see. My doggies, all of them who have gone. Right, Adrian. Adrian is in our. Hi, Adrian. I'm going to say hi to him and Ish too, who are in our chat room right now. The the idea though, you know, if people loved Star Trek, the original Star Trek, and you think about being on the holodeck, that's what our life is. It's like we create that holodeck, right? That's right. And our thoughts are creating everything. And that's a hard thing for people to understand because it means I got to take responsibility for what's going on in my life. That, yeah. That's why people have a hard time accepting it because then you, you are the one who has to take responsibility. It's not imposed on you. You, the, you can't have the victim's mentality. The interesting thing, though, that you said, I think it might even been near the end of the book, you talk about how you can see karma working in your life, but the collective karma is, is more difficult to get a, a hold on because we all have to wake up to that since we're connected, this consciousness, or, or at least more of the people, you know, let's say three quarters have to buy in or something until it, like that hundredth monkey until we all believe it. Exactly. Yeah. Until it's it's permeated everywhere. I mean, I've I've done a lot of thinking about collective karma and um, especially being in the U S now where we find ourselves in this like, Hey, what happened? (laughs) Another school shooting, another, when are they going to wake up? 300 million guns in the America. We have 350 million people, 300 million guns out there. That's all within the last decade or two. You know, yeah. we used to have much tighter regulation, ban on assault weapons. Everything got thrown out. And, and, and what people don't realize when they advocate for the Second Amendment, basically, it's all about profit. You know, the, the, yeah. the, there are people making billions of dollars at the expense of the American public. And, and you're, you're organizing the, the biggest anti-violence uh, what is it, a rally or, or in the school system that, that's educational? Well, we've, we've, done a lot of, we've done a lot of peace dialogues around the world. We're now trying to focus our energy here in the U.S. Um, but but part, of our, part of our work now is to show the connection between the violence, uh, the violence in the schools and the violence against the earth, the ecological violence sure. that's going on. It's just a, 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 a violence that we've, somehow um, manifesting, you know, violence against women. It's all the same impulse. And, and we have to go back and look at what's creating this violence. Yeah, I mean, there's such a, a, a surge. Violent, I mean, the, the volcano in Hawaii, the, you know, all the, the shootings of this and that, it's all culminating to this. It feels like, you know, we're, we're, we're steamrolling into some sort of a, you know, well, you know, it, I don't I think mean, it's the I, end I, of the world or anything, but I, I, I just think that there's, there's going to be some, some event shift. that, that some needs to wake us up. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, 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 I, I believe that, that we will either wake up voluntarily of our own or things will happen that will make us wake up. Mm-hmm. We cannot go on in the same tra- trajectory because it's not sustainable. I mean, the planet cannot sustain what we're doing and it will be self-destruction. Right. So in order to save us from that, things will have to happen to wake us up. And the sooner we wake up and the more people that wake up, the more we'll be spared the the more intense experiences. Um, And I do think that we, that's why it's so important now that all this consciousness work come out uh, and that people let go of their fears 
you know, because we're being, because there's so much fear around, you know, yeah. um, fear and anger. Those are the two things that we've really got to learn how to, how to uh, address within ourselves. And so, I mean, I think that the, the collective is kind of like a, a, a culmination of all the fears and angers that people experience in their personal lives. The more we can deal with our own personal issues, you know, the, the, the better the energy will be in the collective. But when you look at the fear, the, the, the fear is, what, what is the biggest fear? Dying. It, dying is the biggest Dying fear. is the biggest fear. So yeah. you've already explained dying in your book and others have explained what, what happens. And so now there's no fear. Now we don't have to fear yeah. that. Right. You know, right. you don't have, there, there, no harm is going to come to the soul. Right. The physical body, yes, but to the soul, no. So you never have to really worry about that. There is nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Um, you know, uh, um, and we can change all that by changing our thoughts. Exactly. As that's well. what you have to worry. It's all, it's all up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's all, everything that we see is a manifestation of the mind. The, you know, the creation of the mind. And we don't realize how powerful our thoughts are. You know, and if we only realize the power of thought, um, you know, it would change everything. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, the, so the process is to try to help more people wake up. <laughs> when um, I want to talk about a few of the lies, because they, they are so very interesting. And, and let's talk about that and, and how karma works. So the first life you talked about was Sonia's. She was a, a young girl in Russia. Um, her father, I, I, I think he was a political person. The mother was, you know, stayed at home. Um, and she loved ballet. She loved to dance. She loved ballet. And that was her life. Her, her spirit came alive through dance. Yeah. And as a young girl, I used to dream about ballet. And I, I was obsessed with it, obsessed with going to every ballet I could have. I've seen all the greats. Um, I mean, I still love it, but I'm no longer obsessed with it. Um, but the thing about, about that life that was most significant, aside from, you know, I, I, when I was born, um, my guru, who had come to America and brought the teachings from India to America in the 1920s, the first master from India to live here, passed away a year after I was born. And um, I never had a chance to meet him in the person. And in person. And, and in the 1970s, all my friends were running off to India and they say, oh, you need to meet a, a, a live master. And I said, what can I do? I love this one. I, I can't just change my heart. <laughs> and when I remembered my past birth, I saw that I had met him very briefly when he was um, going back to India in 1935, 35, 36. And because uh, I had been a refugee in, in Europe and that gave me that just, it's just like, oh, no wonder I was longing for him and always wanted that in-person contact. But why, why this love for, for Yogananda? Like, why him? I can't explain it. I've, I've always, since, since I was 20 years old and read his book, saw his picture, I've had this intense, intense love for him. Wow. You know, he's like, he's like I, I, I can't describe it really. Um, you know, he's the one I call upon. I mean, I, I mean, I think about him a lot during the day. He's the one I go to night, at nights thinking about. And, and so that one brief experience I had in my past birth was not the only time. Yeah. It was an earlier birth that I talk about toward the end of the Are birth. they linear, our lives? Like, would you, would, would you have said that Sonia was your last life before this incarnation? Or would you have done that and maybe then gone back? Like, is time, like, everywhere? What do you well, think? I, I think that in order to 
in order to, we've constructed it. And yeah, we constructed time. time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, in a way, it seems to me that it's all taking place at once. Mm-hmm. And, and when I finished this book, which was a few years ago, I began to be living more into the future, into the next life. I began oh. seeing the blueprints being, so it was like, I'm living that life too. And I found myself kind of um, dwelling, reflecting on choices that I'm going to have to make in the future. It was the craziest thing. Wow. I, mean, I was living in the past, having to conduct my life in the present. I mean, I was raising two sons, I holding a job and all that, and living in the future as well. And, and that's when it, it began to say, oh, wait a second, okay, in order to live the life as we know it, we construct a time, a time frame where it's linear. Okay, so let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, it's easier for us to understand. But you, okay, now you've only described seven of, of your lives and you know about more, uh, yeah. but you've always been female. Never male? I've, no, I, yes. The, the, there, are, there are several uh, lives that I've had glimpses of, but I don't have a whole narrative. Okay. Um, there's one life that was earlier uh, where I see myself as a male, actually two lives that I see myself as a male, but I don't have a narrative. Okay. I just okay. have a scene from those lives. So let, let's give you know, folks a glimpse of it. You, you, I mean, you have been Hindu, you've been uh, Muslim, you've been Sufi, you've been uh, Jewish, you've been Christian, you've, you've been African, you've Buddhist. been like, yeah, Buddhist, Shinto. I mean, you, you've been everything. Yes, I have been everything, and I think... And when you look at your life today, how you're trying to integrate all of these religions into one peaceful, and you've done it all your lives, really. All my lives. All your lives. The beautiful thing is that 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 interfaith work, of that integrative work, has been with me, showed up again and again. The other thing that showed up again and again, um, and this is why I think my last period of seven lives, I've been a woman... Is, uh, is, is finding my own self-confidence and, and, um, as a woman. Okay. Co- confidence to, you know, during times when it was difficult for women. Confidence as a women, um, spiritual leader. When I was, my, one of my most joyful lives was the poorest when I was the daughter of a Sufi saint in Persia, ancient Persia. And I kept saying to him, you know, if I were, I was the only child, my mother died, it was the two of us. If I were a son, you would train me differently. If mm-hmm. I were your son, you wanted me to be a son, right? Mm-hmm. And he just kept looking at me like, <laughs> that's in no. your head. <laughs> yeah, it's in your head. Not coming yeah. from me, it's coming from you. And, um, and then some lives later, I finally, you know, in the, in the mountains of India, meet this woman sage, saint, and see that, that it is possible for women to attain that, that uh, have that spiritual attainment. And so there is the search and this effort to raise the esteem of women and to help women. And thus, the Global Peace Initiative of Women is what I established in this life without knowing any of the past. But you, you concentrate on, on the Eastern religions now. Well, you no. have an affinity for them. Anyway, yeah. yeah, you have a great love for them um, and, and you concentrate on them. But let, let's talk about some of those experiences and the people that, that you that you've met and, and who are in this life. Cause I find that fascinating. I also think, you know, sometimes I think about, you know, that sh- those show that show, um, who do you think you are? And they do yeah. the DNA and they take you right back. Like, I mean, if you were to do your DNA, would you be a Japanese young woman? Like probably yeah. not. Well, there's know. your physical DNA and there's your spiritual DNA. They haven't got, they haven't yet discovered the spiritual DNA. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, your physical DNA talks about your body and ancestry. 
you know, and whenever they talk about that, I've never had an interest in doing that because I say to myself, I'm more interested in where I came from. You know, what is my history? Not, you know, right. the ancestors of this body. And at the, at the very end, I, I kind of write a, a poem about cult bringing it all together. Yeah, it's delicious. And yeah. it's, who am I? I? I'm them all and I'm none of them, you know? Right. I mean, I look at myself, and I've had this experience since I was young. I look at myself in the mirror saying, is that really me? You know, I don't really identify with the one looking back at me, you know? And, and when I was younger, I, you know, I, I had red hair, but I, I passed, my past birth, I had like a dirty blondish hair. And I always wondered how I got this, this color hair. It's like, it, it shouldn't be this color. It should be kind of a same. It's actually an interesting color for a young Jewish girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Maybe the Russian. The Russian, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, we have a lot of similarities. Like we were talking off air, you know, we both come from Jewish, both come from Russia, both, you know, grandparents and stuff. And it, it, that path is, is interesting. I'd be, you know, I'm so curious. I wish we could all have, you know, the spontaneous remembering just for a little bit, just so we know, you know, where we come from and how we can um, wake up in this life and, and, and think, oh, yeah, look at that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you an experience I had recently. Um, I was, we were organizing, um, it, there had been um, a killing of a pastor in, Charles, in Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. a few years back. And, and we had had a dialogue uh, and, uh, on healing, healing the earth. And he had been sitting with us. And, and a few months later, he was killed in the church. So we were called to come back and do another healing dialogue. And, and this was last June, we were there. And um, one of the um, African-Americans said to us, this is the Saturday that we go do our annual ceremony for the, for the Africans who died on the ships in the journey over. And if you'd like to join us, you can join us. And I said, wow, that'd be meaningful to me. And so we went down to the shore and they were throwing flowers into the ocean. Now in the book, I have a life in Africa. And at the end of that life, there was an attack in our village and my sister was sold into slavery and my um, taken, kidnapped and my son and I was killed. And she didn't make it in the journey. She died. Yeah, in, on the journey, they threw her overboard. And suddenly her image came to my mind. And I said to myself, this is like 18th century. Mm-hmm. I've never had the opportunity to bring closure to that, to pay homage to that sister that died in the journey. And throwing those flowers into the river, into the ocean, that was my bringing it to conclusion. It was very, very meaningful. And then sometime later, we, a few months later, some of the, the, one of the young white men who was there saying, said to me, you know, we didn't belong there. We shouldn't have been there. That was for the African-American community. We should not have been there. The whites did not belong there. I turned to him and I said, well, I don't know about you, but that was very, very meaningful to me. And I thought, you know, if everybody knew who they were, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? It would. It would. I mean, you know, if, if you, if the biggest racist in the world knew last life he was a black man, like then, or woman or whatever, you know, you have to say, oh, okay. That which you hate, you draw to you. Exactly. You know, exactly. and so, and I yet, mean, it's like, that's the balance. That's, that's how it works. You so know? you were, you were, you know, this, this, this young African African girl, um, and then in another life, you know, as Elizabeth, you helped along with your sister in that life, help you know um, them to escape, help the black slaves to escape through the Underground Railroad. So you were very instrumental in doing that. Which, yeah. which is 
was that was so interesting to me how my aspiration as I de- was f- for to help my son who was being kidnapped and sold into slavery. Yeah. And then I came to the south my soul was looking for him. And and um you found him. Was he hung? Is he the one that was hung? Hmm? Was he the one that was hung your son? Um was he no he who was the young man? Because you had an affinity for this young slave, and you found him. He was the one who's, who was part of the Underground Railroad, and I kept bringing him money. And so, so I was able to help him fulfill his mission. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it shows how, how we, we interact with those. You know, if, there's a, if there is a motherly love there, yeah. you know, and, but that if there's something that's not complete, it will find its completion in another way. Everything has to find its completion. Um, you know, that's so completely- they say that in our lives, um, our soul lives, that, that when we, cho- we choose to come back or not, is there a choice to come back or not? I think everything is by choice. Okay. Not always conscious. Right. So if, if you choose to come back, that you're still on a learning path. There's still, like, the karma has to be finished. The learning has to be completed. Yeah. Um, is there always a theme? Like everybody has a personal theme, do you think? I think, I think that there are themes that weave through people's lives that, that propel them forward. Um, I don't know if it's as obvious as, as mine has been, you know, where I've had these similar, same themes that go through so many lives. I think every person's story is different. What you can know for sure is that you've been a lot, in a lot of different places and a lot of different skins a lot of different experiences and it's all for learning. And, and but you've always ended up, I mean, whether you ended up as a mother or a widow or whatever, you always ended up um, being very spiritual as a nun, as somebody, you know, in a convent, uh, even in Japan, in India, the, the, you know, the mother took you in and, and, you know, you worked with the poor. So you've always been a service or, or gone to an extremely aesthetic almost life near the end of your life. Now you came back. They said, no, you gotta go. You gotta go back to your life again. Um, but it's yeah. interesting. And, and that's, that's been, um, that's been part of my inner life for a long time. So, since as long as I can remember in this life. And the one, the one thing I say to myself though is, you know, it seems to be taking a long time <laughs> for me to learn all these lessons. You what know? is the lesson? What do you think the lesson is? Because I mean, it's not like, you're not a good person. You've been a good person well, in every I, life. No, you know? I, 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 but but, but um, one does leave with desires with unfinished business. So I'm often asked the question, how has this made you a better person? How has this really affected how you are in your day-to-day life? And honestly, it has completely changed um, the way I, I watch my thoughts. And, and um, you know, I've had, you know, I... I Earlier in my life, I had a very difficult relationship with my mother because she didn't accept any of my spirituality. I mean, you know, I had to hide all that stuff and um, because it wasn't, it wasn't acceptable in Judaism to have a picture of a guru on your wall, you know? Right, right. And that was very painful for me. Um, but, but I realized if I don't resolve this with her now, I will resolve it in the future. Resolve it must be. What? Now or then, not later. Yeah, I yeah. worked very hard. And I have a better relationship with her now than I've ever had. I mean, she's now at the end of her life, um, 92. But um, it's been such grace for me that I've been able to work that through in this life. And I think that, you know, we leave things unfinished. 
you know, because if we're not attentive to everything, then there are people that we've hurt, um, you know, sometimes inadvertently, but still those little things have to be corrected. Um, you know, we haven't done everything as if we would, you know, if we're, if we're paying attention, really. You know, people say karma's a bitch. Is it? Karma is meant not to punish us, but to help awaken us and to help us learn. How else are we going to awaken? I mean, the whole goal is to awaken, to awaken to the real nature of, of what is, right? right that's, that's right. we want to know. We don't want to live in these mind concoctions and illusions, ultimately. So you know? why, why do you think you, you were singled out to remember? I don't know the answer to that. I, 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 I don't know the answer. You know, I, I have, um, you know, people, many friends who meditate and have all kinds of experiences. None like this, but they have out-of-body experiences. They see auras. They see angels. And I've always said to myself, I sit in meditation and, you know, I see my I don't past. see anything. <laughs> you see your past, yeah. Now you see your future. No angels have come to me that I can see. I don't see lights. Yeah. So the important thing is to be grateful to the gift. So I, I mean, that's one of the reasons I've shared it. I thought, well, this is what was given to me. It's for a purpose. I should share it. And other people have other different kinds of experiences that are, that are also beautiful. I know that you said that you haven't shared this with your, with your family. Um, have, you, have you come across a life that wasn't on earth? Um, not yet. Okay. Not yet. I mean, this is still, I'm still on a journey. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> you know, and, it's and fascinating. I'm, I'm very, I mean, that's, a, that's a, an interest of mine, of the many other places to be born. And frankly, you know, this earth has reached capacity. Many of us have to, may have to take birth in other places. And so what are those other places like? There must be beautiful places and there must be less beautiful places. When you were on the other side, and, and I, as a, as a metaphysical hypnotherapist, and I've done many past lives with people, I have done um, taking people who have told me that they were a planet. They've been many things and not on this planet. So it's, it's very interesting. You have to keep an open mind. But, uh, but after every, and I know you're not a proponent of people to go and get a past life regression done. However, I can tell you that as part of, if, you're, if they're um, properly trained, let's say, you always ask for, the message from the past life to give to the current life. What can you, what can you, what message do you have for them? What would you like them to know? And I think that's always really good, great learning there. I mean, when I said that, I should clarify that. I mean, for me, it's not a matter of curiosity. If one goes with a serious intent to learn um, and has, has a, um, a well-trained person to work with, um, it, it could be very informative. Uh, it's just that one, the expectations, I have one friend, a very spiritual woman who was a lot of meditating. And after she heard some of my stories, she was so eager and she went to past life regression and nothing happened to her. Oh. So uh, she couldn't say anything. And, and I, I said, well, it doesn't matter. It's just not important. Then it's not important for your spiritual growth. That's fine. Um, but one could feel, you know, let down or what, what's the matter with me that I couldn't see. And so it's, it's these kind of, um, if one goes, you know, no expectations, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I want it to be for learning. Um, I think that could be a positive thing. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I have never had anybody um, experience the depth of the lives like that you have. I mean, there's glimpses, you, you, you see it, you hear a little bit, but nothing, I mean, you can tell a whole story 
and you do tell whole stories about these lives and, and the people in those lives and the people that you recognize in this life from those lives. You know, everything, every, every thought and every action they say is recorded in this etheric database. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one can plug into that. And that, that's how I, because I, I also say to myself, where, are these, where is this coming from? You know, I mean, we don't yet understand the soul. I mean, scientists don't even understand the brain. Yes. You know, which is just a, which is just a vehicle, right? Yeah, yeah. To understand the soul is like, oh, that's a whole other level. And, and it's infinite in its power and capacity, you know. I mean, just think, if it says in the, in, the, in the Abrahamic tradition, made in the image of God, what does that mean? Made of the same substance. Right. In, in the Eastern tradition, it's, it's, part of, it's, the con- it's consciousness of the, same, of the same fabric, so to speak, as, as the, the, you know, the same as the drop God. of the Godness. It's the divine consciousness. That's what it is. Yeah. It's infinite power in that. When you went back in between, when you're at the lives between lives, as we call it, and you had a conversation, you kind of did a debrief. Yeah. We go and we do a little bit of a debrief. <laughs> and you met somebody there. Yeah. And you talked about how, you know, he, he I got a feeling it was a he, didn't come back anymore. Yeah. Um, but you had great meaning for one another, great love for one another. Like, was yeah. he the, the love of your life? What, who was this person? He, he was... Um, Somebody that at one time I incarnated with a long time ago, and I have not been able to recapture that memory. It seemed to be an ancient one. And when I was struggling to organize this conference in India, first time I'd done anything in India, big conference on, on the divine feminine. And suddenly I saw this being, and he had come to reassure me. Um, and I, I thought it was going to be, the con- it ended up being a, a, a groundbreaking conference for us really changed the work it was our fifth year anniversary and and um and ever since that point which was in 2008 this connection has been there and so at one so at the time when i was writing this and i remembered um my guru coming and saying now i'm taking you to america on my deathbed and then finding myself in this beautiful place uh with him with that being there it was a him uh, although Although, um, I just felt it energetically. Yeah, yes, yes. You know, and a lot of the back and forth was telepathically, you know, and... and Did you see yourself, when you were there, did you see yourself in this this incarnation, in this vehicle? Did you see yourself with your face, let's say, when you thought about who you were? Or did you see yourself with somebody else's face? I thought I was a modified version. Okay. You know, I, I, I wasn't quite like this. And yet you would recognize me. And when they say, um, because I've wondered about this, if you're meeting somebody from another life who since had many bodies, mm-hmm. you project onto that person how you remember them. Yeah. Again, yeah. that shows you how the mind creates. You see that person as you know that person. Right. You know, just like one person may get to see Jesus, and Jesus is white with blonde hair. Another one sees Jesus, he's got a black face. I mean, you are, you are, it doesn't mean that it's not real. It's that you are... Seeing it through your lens, right? You have our own lens. So um, I had a different name. He called me by a different name, uh, and and I saw that I had a I had a function in that place, and it was almost as if that was my home, and 
And coming down here was between home visits. You're like a traveler that goes off yeah, and comes going, home. going out and coming back. Um, and then, um, but I got to put some of the pieces of the different lives together and I saw the trajectory. And then I saw that um, I, I had left my previous birth with an, with an aspiration that was unfulfilled, which, is, which was to follow the teachings of my guru, uh, which I couldn't do at that time because we weren't, you know, I didn't have access to him or his teachings except for that brief meeting. And so that would lead me to take birth. And I've often thought, why did I get born into a Jewish family? Um, well, the last part of my life, and what happens in the last part of your life is so significant for determining your next. Oh, okay. Uh, was helping the Jews get out of was getting out of out of Germany, and I had fallen in love with the Jewish man. So there was that we connection. I'm sure I'd, I've had a Jew, Jewish life in the past. I don't remember it. Right. But maybe you know, in ancient Israel or something. Right. Know? Yeah. Because there's clearly that connection. But your mom in the, in the Russian mother had been half Jewish. He had been part Jewish, yes. And, and then you had a you had a as as a Southern Belle, you met a Russian prince who had fallen madly in love with you. So and, this was my question after I saw my Russian life. I yeah. said to myself, Why did I get born in Russia? I hate the cold. Why would I be born in a cold place? Because naturally I assumed I had been in India in my past birth, right? And um, then when I saw that I, I had been in, in the American South, again, I said to myself, I've always had this resistance to the American South. I couldn't believe I was a Southern Belle. I mean, it's just, then of course. But an activist. <laughs> and of course, I saw why I got born in Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that life led to the Russian life, and then the African life led to that life. Those three lives, are, and I see it as one story. Yeah those three lines. Yeah. I've come to the point where I don't even see it as um, many lives, but as one life with many chapters. I mean, I, when I was in the middle of these, I would, I would uh, say things to people, you know, like I met my guru in 1936 or 1935. They say to me, you were alive then? You don't look that old. <laughs> I'm going to say that you met your guru way before that. Oh yeah. A thousand years ago. <laughs> Because, I mean, you know, that kind of blew me away that, that Yogananda was, was William the Conqueror. But you had, you did have, you know, um, a relationship with William the Conqueror in a past I did, life. and I have to tell you that, that um, you know, I didn't have, I have two sons, but no daughter in this life, no daughters. And um, I'm very happy with my sons and all that. But when I, when I remembered that daughter that I had had such love for, I had the strangest experience because I felt that that daughter was in a male body in the Himalayas and was remembering me, was remembering that life. So I was remembering that being and that being someplace else on the earth was remembering me. Wow. And, and we connected, you know, we connected in our souls somehow. And, um, you know, it's life. The reality is so complex. But tell us again how, how William was connected to that daughter. She was born and she was ill and he came. He, so, your husband worked so with... So what I remembered, I was, I mean, in this life, I was there visiting a friend. She said, let's go down to Dover. And we were standing there and I went into meditation. I looked out at the, at the straits that separated England from France. And I saw all these ships, old style ships. And I saw myself 
on one of the ships. And I saw that I had come with my husband, who was a, a nobleman, in, with w- William, to, to establish a new society in, uh, in what's now England. And I was pregnant with my 10th child. And then this child, um, uh, he had come, he had come uh, and said that this child would be a special child, but would be, would be frail. And this child was born and nearly died when she was two. And he is, she was, we thought we were going to lose her. And he showed up, spent some time alone with her, and she was brought back to life. And then this child was in her own world. She was always talking about angels. She saw angels. She said Jesus had come to her. She showed me a wedding ring that he put on her finger. And her father wanted her put away, you know. And, you know, in those days, put away means you go into a dungeon somewhere. Yeah. You know, you're, you're mad. And, um, but William, you know, uh, said, let her be. She, she has come here for a purpose. And so, um, she, we built a little, a little cabin for her on the property and I would bring her, um, you know, food and clothing and make sure she was okay. I was very devoted to her and everything would, she would distribute it among the townspeople and she became something of a local saint and depriving herself. And she would go into these long ecstasies and wouldn't eat and sleep. And, and I was beside myself with her condition. And when William would come, he would only see ecstasy in her. He would say, look into her eyes. Do you see any, any sadness there? And then she did die. And uh, that was a tragedy for me. But he said she has done more to establish spirit uh, in this land. Uh, and, you know, I, when I heard the rumors that Yogananda had been um, William the Conqueror, it didn't make sense to me. William the Conqueror, you learn in, in school, was brutal. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but as I kind of got into the memories, I realized that that was the time when the, the Viking tribes were attacking and when um, there had to be a structure. He set up the whole structure of society and brought Christianity there. Um, and Christianity at that time, it was the saints. I mean, there were many uh, monks and nuns, women too. There were women saints there uh, who were establishing a very deep spirituality in that land. And people see the social and political side of him and not the spiritual side of him, mm-hmm. of what he did spiritually to establish um, the land. And of course, when you look karmically, in, uh, England became the world power. You know, there, there was no other power where the, the sun never set on its kingdom. Yeah. So how was his energy a thousand years ago part of what enabled that to become that, England to become what it became? That, those are the insights that came to me. be fascinating to see who his lives had been. Oh, <laughs> <After yeah. William. laughs> I wonder if you'd met him again and you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of mysteries, right? A so, lot of mysteries. You know, when people, people have often said um, the things that you have an affinity for, like medieval England, maybe you've never been, never been to France, never been, you know, to Japan, but you've, you love, the poetry or whatever. Do you think that those are reminiscent from your past life? Did did you ever have those feelings? And you go, and and then you go, Oh, that's why. No question. I mean, I have a little grandson from the time he was three, he was talking about Tibet. He said, I lived in Tibet. I know Tibet. I remember when the Dalai Lama fled, I was a guard in the castle there. And he said that. Wow. He said, I was a guard. And he, he knew all about the effort to resist the the Chinese. He said, the the Tibetans could have resisted the Chinese if they had done X, Y, and Z. 
I mean, he knew so much about the details of the, of the defense. At three years old? At three, four, five years old, he kept talking. He was obsessed. And did it go away? No. Oh, I think wow. he's going to become a Tibetan scholar. Oh, wow. He's, now he's nine. He's online. He's read books on the Dalai Lama. He's read books about Tibetan history. He knows about all. He, he, he's like an encyclopedia when it comes to Tibet. <laughs> wow. How do you explain that? Yeah, well. I mean, his parents are atheists, neuroscientists. You know, he didn't get it from them. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's great. Actually, I'll tell you a quick little story if I can. Um, I, was, I had a very horrific motorcycle accident. I was in the hospital for six months. Mm-hmm. And, what, and one of the nurses, uh, she was going to um, see the Dalai Lama. And she, like yourself, loved Yogananda. She had his book. She always carried his book around everywhere. And she goes, I'm going to go see the Dalai Lama tonight. And I go, great, you know, good for you. Because I was going through this dark night of soul thing. Anyway, she came back. She goes, oh, it was an amazing experience. And she handed me this bracelet that said the Dalai Lama wanted you to have this. I'm like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it was crazy. And then there was Buddhist monks in the hospital different times. They would walk in and I, just when you had a question, I'd meet one. I mean, it was just crazy times. So it, it's interesting. And and then, you know, lately all this stuff is coming again. Like I said, I told you, like the universe is calling and it's, it's going, come on, come on. Like if you are receptive and if you hear it and I'll never not hear them again because they took me over six months. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a wake up time. People are talking about fifth dimension, you know, thinking they're talking about this, this, this new, you know, higher consciousness. And let's talk about a little bit about that before because we've got about 10 minutes. Let's talk about why that is so necessary. Well, I think that, that it's very important to remember with all the, um, the negative news that seems like we're going back in time, back to the Cold War, back to, um, it, it's just a brief relapse because there is um, a lot of, 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 the consciousness is evolving, waking up. And I think there's so many things contributing to it. I mean, the, the, the growth of the whole meditation movement, um, the ability, this is, this is why I decided it was time to bring out this book. 25% of American Christians believe in reincarnation, according to a, a Pew Forum. Uh, people are, are talking about death in a different way. Um, this, people are, are experiencing interdimensional beings now. Mm-hmm. We can talk about beings from other dimensions coming through. Um, so, so these things that in the, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, were hush, hush. We can be talked about openly. Karma is part of our natural, is our vocabulary now. Sure. In the vocabulary, everybody talks about it, no matter which religion you belong to. So I think that, that um, we have a little further to go before we see a real shift in the physical world. Things, things congeal on a spiritual level before they manifest physically. That's what I saw during my time in between lives, is that things had to congeal at the spirit level before they manifest physically. Right. And so we all have to do our part in our spiritual work in order to see the physical changes that we need, that we're all yearning for. I mean, we're all yearning to see what is this new civilization going to look like? An ecological civilization based on spiritual principles. We have to manifest it. And at first it has to take place in our minds. So we all have to take responsibility. So how do you want people to wake up? How do you want them to um, raise their consciousness? 
Well, find inspiration wherever you can. Read things that inspire you. Um, Push your boundaries, you know. Push your boundaries. uh, um, Break out of the box. um, You know, just explore new ways of thinking. And really be reflective about your life, mindful of the things that you do and say, mindful to put out positive energies and not to fall into negative thought patterns. Um, these negative thought patterns create kind of blockages at the collective level. Positive thought patterns open up spaces. And, you know, and not to get discouraged, I think the most important thing now is to realize that we're building momentum and it's going to manifest within the next few years. Something is going to shift within the next few years. And so we all have to stay um, do whatever we, comes to us in our life. For each person is going to be different. depends upon where you're sitting, who you're exposed to. But listening to shows like yours is very important because you get exposed to people who have had experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's about choosing, listening to your thoughts, choosing to, to let go of the negative and, and uh, re- replace it with a positive, choosing to look beyond you know, your own circumstance and at the collective and, and think, you know, how can I make it better? And the way people can make it better is by, is by being more positive. And most importantly, to realize that the microcosm impacts the macrocosm. So what we do, small things in our life have an impact. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's actually what I end up saying again and again when we hold our programs, is what you do in your life does matter. It has an impact on the collective field. Because people think they're insignificant, don't they? Most people think, oh, what can I... They feel helpless. What what can I I do? I'm only one person. And you know what? That was the reason I started the good radio. I had this download from the universe and it said, go find one person, one person who changes the world, big or small. And I thought, yeah, because you know what? If I can show people that they can make a difference... You don't have to be Gandhi. You don't have to be Martin Luther King. But whether you're helping somebody in your community, your next door neighbor, or on a global stage like you, everybody can make a difference. And if you take yourself out of the game, then we're short a player. We need to. We need every player. We need every player. Yeah. We need every player. So know that you can make a difference. I truly believe we can all make a difference. I really, really do. And if you can, you know, find it in your heart to believe that you can too, I mean, that, that's, that's what we need to have happen. And I think people know it when they do something which shifts something in their personal life, in their community or family, whatever, you know how good that feels. Yeah. And so, that, you know, everybody has that experience of, of, of how good that feels. And so your soul knows that you're contributing to this co- positive collective energy. So don't fear death because you're going to come back. You're going to be somewhere. And, and you it's going to be great. You desires. You know, you don't, you don't have money this time and you really want it. It's going to manifest at some point in the future. I mean, how cool is that to think that you could sit down this evening, have your dinner, get out your journal and start writing about all the things that you would love to have happen in this life. But and to be really- careful what you desire. Yes. Be careful they, what you wish for. <laughs> they don't always bring happiness. So the thing is, do you want real fulfillment inside or do you want these outer pleasures that yeah, I mean, are seductive? <laughs> yeah. But the things, you know, thoughts become things. And I guess that's really the message that thoughts do become things and be careful what you wish for. Um, however, if you wish for world peace, that'd be great. 
you, well, you wish for a loving relationship. I yeah. mean, there are things that bring comfort during life. Uh, and we don't get everything in one life, you know? I mean, you just don't get it all in one life. Very few people do. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have to see what's important to you, you know. Um, a loving relationship is something that really can, you know, that's also a rare thing to be able to have a truly um, loving partnership. So what do you think about these these people? I mean, you talk, we don't all get everything, but there are people who get a really good package. <laughs> You know, there's some people who get the beauty and they get, they get, you know, the talent and like just a phenomenal life. Yeah, but they may not be happy. Yeah. They may not be happy. You know, they might be bored or they might just seem, you know, superficial. I mean, you, you don't know what's going on. And they may not have a really loving relationship. You know, I mean, you, you look at this Melania Trump, right? I mean, here she is beautiful, wealthy, in the White House, isolated. Yeah. I mean, she's a very unhappy person. She doesn't look very happy, you know? So um, you, it's hard to know what the other, what anybody's experiencing truly inside. Yeah. It's like driving in a neighborhood, right? And you look at those houses and you think about the life that those people are having behind yeah. those doors and that beautiful home. And then you find that they're bitterly fighting inside. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? And, and, um, um, Dina, like yeah. you, you are, you know, just absolutely an amazing woman, person, you know, human being. And I think, you know, we can certainly all learn a lot from you. And um, I want everyone to go and, and make sure that they, you know, they go, go to Amazon, get my journey through time. Uh, fascinating read, as I said, just extraordinary. Um, look at what our lives are like too. I mean, it's not, you did it, we've done it. We just don't know about it. Um, but we can learn certainly through yours. What's next on your agenda? I'm almost finished the second book, which goes further back in time. <gasps> really? Wow. Are you going to talk about any of the future lives in it too? Not in that book, but that I'm already work. I'm already have concept for a third book. I cannot wait to read that book. <laughs> Make sure you send it to me. <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Adriana, Linda. Him and Ish, everybody who's been listening now and will listen later, thank you so much for joining us on oh, Mission. Oh, thank you. It's been really wonderful to yeah. talk to you. Thank you thank so you. much for, for being on the show. Got a great show. Thank you so show. much. Thank you. I really appreciate thank it. You. I'm going to take us away from Facebook. Goodbye, Facebook. Bye.